If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 11 is where we're going to start today. We're going to travel a little bit through the book of John as we look at another interesting character of the Bible and how he relates to this aspect of feeling overwhelmed. And uh, if you've been here for this uh, series, I'm praying that you aren't beginning to feel overwhelmed by how to stop being overwhelmed. It's uh, We've talked about a lot of things and a lot of truths, and uh, I know for me as I've been trying to live some of this out and walk in this feeling when I begin to have a sense of overwhelming coming over me, I just want to stop now and be like, what is it? What is it in my life that's causing me to feel this way? And I think that's what God's word should challenge us to do. When we allow truth into our minds and into our hearts, it's not that it just becomes something that we know, it becomes something that changes how we act and respond. And I pray that this uh, series is helping us do that. And so uh, if you remember when we talked about uh, trouble or uh, uh, being overwhelmed is not just these uh, deadlines that are looming or whatever. It's this idea, this whole attitude that shapes who we are. We begin to feel troubled. Once we begin to feel troubled, we feel vulnerable. And that vulnerable makes us feel helpless until we get to a point where we feel lost. And it's this, it's this process that plays out in our life over and over again. And the more it plays out, the more it becomes a habit of how we think and the habit of how we act. And we kind of go through this life lost because we feel overwhelmed and we talked about a couple weeks ago how our present circumstances can do that that our circumstances can drive us to fear what is around us and that fear can make us do desperate things or it can make us become stagnant in our lives and then last week we talked about how we look at our past and as we look at our past we've learned that our past experiences can make us feel overwhelmed with regret and we look and we think man i wish i would have done this different or if I could go back in time, I would do this. And we let something that we have no control over affect how we view our future effectiveness and what we can do in the future. So fear of our present circumstances, regret of our past. And this week, we're going to move our focus, as I mentioned earlier, to understanding how this idea of what does our future hold? What does our future hold? This idea of an uncertain future can also lead us to feeling Overwhelmed. As much as we can look back with regret or look around us in fear, we can look often look forward with worry. I'm sure nobody else in here worries besides me, right? Not not on uh, nobody else struggles with that. I mean, you ever have those nights when you just lay in bed and you cannot sleep because you're just worried about something that you can't do anything about at that point? I mean, it's not like you can get up and do some work and solve that problem. You're just up. Worrying about something something that's consuming your thoughts and minds, it's keeping you from sleeping, it's keeping you from thinking, it's keeping you from doing anything else. Worry can control us like nothing else. And we don't often worry about what happened. We worry about what's coming. We may regret what happened, but we are so worried sometimes about what our future holds. Now, when I think about this idea of future, for me, it typically brings to me positive things. In my mind, I remember growing up, I was told about the bright future that's ahead of us. You know, that, that we were told, you know, give it time. Things will be better. If you don't like it now, just give it time. This too will pass. Things will get better in the future. Like I remember growing up, I had ideas of what I wanted to do in the future. I've shared this with some of you before. My, when I grew up, I'm talking about like early elementary, and they started talking about what you wanted to be when you grow up. I was not fireman, astronaut, pilot. I had one thing and one focus that was to be president of the United States. Like even as like a six-year-old, I'm like president, no doubt. Like that's it. I had I had it all mapped out, and uh, 
you know, you have to be 35 to run for president. So the first year I could have run was like eight years ago. Kind of wish I would have run this year, maybe, you know, but it's, uh, but I just had the, I had this target in my mind of like, this is my future. And when I was about 18 years old, God broke into my life and took my future and reshaped it to not what I wanted, but what he wanted for me. And uh, it's a whole another story for another time, but it, it's this tricky idea of the future because we can look great and think about what's great until we kind of hit this point in our midlife time frame when the idea of future doesn't seem as bright anymore, right? I mean, we start hearing things like we're over the hill. It's all downhill from here. My best best days are behind me. It'll never be as good as it was. And we stop celebrating birthdays and start dreading them. You know, we, we have this shift of mindset of like bright future to like, oh my gosh, I don't have much future left. I remember I served this church one time when they uh, were coming up with the name of the church. Uh, It was in Birmingham, Alabama, and there's a little mountain in Birmingham, and they were going to call the church Over the Mountain Church. And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, it's like, are we just going to appeal to like senior adult? Because they were like, oh, we didn't even think about that. You know, it's just these these terminologies that we begin to live with when this shift happens in our life. So the future is this tricky things. At times, it seems so appealing. It can get our, can't get here fast enough. I remember wanting to turn 16 and get my driver's license and experience different things and turn 18 and go to college and all these different things. Just couldn't get here fast enough. And other times, it feels like this freight train barreling at us at the speed of light and we can't do anything to slow it down. And all of a sudden, we were 30 and now we're 40 and now we're almost 50. And it's like, where did the future, why did it get here so quick? And so it can be this tricky thing, but there is one thing that is certain about the future is that from our perspective, it's uncertain. We don't know all that it holds. We can't tell the future. We can influence the future and we can shape the future, but ultimately we cannot determine the future. And this is why when we focus on the future, it can feel so overwhelming. Like I know, like I, I want it to be this way, but I know it's not going to be this way. And so today we're going to take a look at this topic and how do we deal with this from a biblical perspective of understanding an uncertain future. Because I said the one thing that we cannot change about our future is the fact that it is uncertain. And that we can change, though, how we look at our future and how we allow it to impact our lives today. And so we're going to do this by looking at a character in the Bible that also struggled with this idea of being overwhelmed with the future, and his name is Thomas. Now, if you are familiar with the Bible at all and you know the name Thomas, there's probably one word that immediately comes to your mind, and it's doubting, right? Doubting Thomas. And we're going to get to that part of the story. But before we get there, we're going to look at the other interactions in his life. Now, let me give a little background on Thomas. We don't know a ton about him. We know he was one of the followers of Christ, one of his disciples. Uh, we don't know a ton about his background. He's not a, he's not necessarily a star like Peter and John and some of these other guys that speak a lot. Really in the scriptures, we have three times that Thomas speaks. But what's amazing about those three times they all reveal a little bit about his character and his nature, about how he feels about the future. And that's what we're going to look at today, is that he was this follower of Christ. He was there day in and day out. He saw 
the miracles. He heard Jesus' teaching firsthand. He had one-on-one conversations with Jesus. I mean, he whatever was there, he got to partake in all of it. He was one of the closest men to Jesus. And yet, even with all of this, he constantly seemed to jump to conclusions and believe the worst. He was always a class half empty kind of guy who had a negative outlook on the future. And so let's look at these three verbal interactions that we have with Thomas in Scripture and see if we can learn from his perspective about how we might deal with this idea of the future. So John 11, uh, verses 5 through 16. This is the story of Jesus heading into uh, Hill. Our Lazarus has passed away, and he was coming in to deal with that. So verse 5, it says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again, which is where Lazarus was. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not of him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, they're kind of dumb, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Like, he'll wake up in the morning. You just said there's 12 hours a day, 12 hours a night. Is that what you're talking about? Like, these guys, you know, didn't get it. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he was just resting in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, which he often had to do, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas makes his first appearance in Scripture, and it says, So Thomas, called the twin, and we don't even know why he's called that, uh, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that that we may die with him. So what I want you to see here is first, Thomas looked at the future with a sense of dread. Now, you may look at this verse and go, no, no, Thomas just said, let's go with Jesus. We'll die with Jesus. That's not at all what it's saying here. That's not all the disciples' perspective here. The, the, word, the word him there, when it's translated, that him does not refer to Jesus. That him refers to Lazarus. What's happening here is not this bold statement of bravery and fearlessness from Lazarus. Instead, when we take it in context of What's happening here and Thomas's character revealed in other parts of Scripture? This is most likely simply a sarcastic attempt to communicate his dissatisfaction with the future plans that Jesus has for him. Here's what he's saying if we put it in our terms today. Yeah, let's go back to the place where they just tried to kill you so that we can all end up in the grave just like Lazarus. And that's what Thomas is saying. All right, Jesus, if that's what you want to do, you want to take us all to our deaths? Let's go for it, right? I mean, I can just catch, I I have the gift of sarcasm. And like when I read it and I'm like, this is Thomas like laying out some great sarcasm here for Jesus. Sure, I'm I'm willing to go, I'll end up in the grave just like Lazarus. And like, you're going to heal him or whatever. I guess you have to raise all of us from the dead. Kind of, you know, he's like, what are you going to do? He is dissatisfied here. This was not him showing bravery at all. It was him expressing dread over the future. Now, what is dread? Dread consists of two elements. It's fear and reluctance. It's this idea that we're not just scared of our future, but we're reluctant to even pursue it. We see something that may be coming, 
We see something that's going to be challenging and we have fear, but we don't just fear it and like go at it boldly. We like try to find a different way out. That's dread. Like I've got to avoid this at all cost. This reminds me of uh, Natalie, our daughter, when we uh, used to go to Disney a lot. One of our favorite rides was the Tower of Terror, which is like this elevator thing that drops and scares you to death. And uh, we had a rule in our family, if you get in line for a ride, you can't get out. Like, because we just said that with our kids. Like, if you get in, you're riding. And so she, to start with, she's like, okay, I'm going to ride. Well, as we were getting closer and closer and going through, like, this thing that scares you to death even before you get to the ride, you can see the fear beginning to well up. And you're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, we're moving forward, and she's moving backward in line. But we get to that, to where they open up the doors and let you get on the ride. We went from fear to reluctance very quickly. Like, she was trying to find a way out, and, like, I'm not doing this. But being the good parents that we are, we forced her to do it. And uh, she wrote, it's like, as soon as it was over, she was screaming the whole time. But as soon as it was over, she gets out. She goes, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And so we, same thing, fear, reluctance, fear, reluctance. But she we do that in our lives. We start walking down a path and we get a little fearful. And then we hit this thing that we see coming in our future. And we get reluctant. We're like, I got to go somewhere else. Thomas had left his inability to control the outcome, determine his perspective on the future. Remember I said at the beginning, none of us can control the future. But he had let his fear of being able to control, not being able to control the future, make him reluctant to move into the future. That's what dread is. When, when you look at your future, what brings you fear and reluctance? Where is it that you struggle? Not wrong to have fear. I'm not telling you it's not wrong, you know, to, to be stupid and to be like, ah, oh, it's nothing. But to not approach it the way that God calls us to. And I think we do this for a couple of reasons, and we can see it here in Scripture. One, we, we approach it with dread because we forget who we are following. Remember what verse 9 said? It says, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If someone walks the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What Jesus is saying here is, look, you're walking with me. You're walking with me. I know what's coming. I'm, I'm ahead of you in this. I've got more wisdom than you. I've got more understanding than you. I've got this. You're walking with me. It's this boldness that Jesus is saying, you can walk in this. I was a freshman in high school, which uh, the high school I went to, like they used to have these freshman hazing days. I think that's illegal now. But uh, they, uh, my brother happened to be a senior when I was a freshman. And I remember one day I was running around the hall, like coming around the hall, and it was like freshman. I don't even remember what they called it, but it was not a fun day. And I came around, and these two junior guys came up to me and a couple of my friends, and they were like, oh, we got us some freshmen. And I'm like, they're going to kill us. Like, what's going to happen? And, like, all of a sudden, my brother and a good friend of his, who are both foot linemen on the football team, walked around the corner, and they were like, Patrick and Billy was the kid with me. Like, everything okay? And I was like, hey, brother. <laughs> like, And Jay came and stood by me, and these two guys went. And, like, all of a sudden, I took the strength of my brother as a senior on as a freshman. I'm like, yeah, you guys get out of here, right? Like, I'm, I'm all of a sudden boasting in my brother's strength. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I've got you. You're walking with me. Don't forget that. But the second thing that we often forget is this, is we often forget that we have a purpose 
beyond prosperity. Remember, verse 11 says this, after saying these things, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep or died. I will go to awake him. We can have a dreadful view of our future because we forget that life isn't just about getting as much pleasure out of it as we can. That's not what God calls us to do, to just get as much pleasure out of it. Yes, it would be easier maybe to you know, run and hide in the desert than to go back. Maybe it would have been easier to never have followed Christ in the first place. Would it have been easier to walk away at this point? Yes. But that doesn't make it the right decision for the future. Just because it's the easy decision doesn't make it the right decision. The pursuit of pleasure draws us to seek comfort. Comfort draws us to complacency. And complacency draws us to apathy. If we make the pursuit of pleasure and prosperity the number one thing. How do we grow? The best way we grow is through pain. How do we learn? We learn through failure. How do we expand? Through risk. How do we change? Through trials. Jesus didn't want it what was easy for them. He wanted what was right for them. That's interaction number one. Interaction number two is this. Turn over to John 14. This is Jesus and uh, Thomas comes up again. He says this. Let, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself And where I am, you may be also. For you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas shows up again and he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now you do know him and have seen him. But here's the second thing. Thomas looked at his future with a sense of distress. He didn't know where they were going. I love the practicalness of Thomas, right? He's like, look, show me that. Give me some uh, guideposts. Give me some landmarks to look for. Just tell me what the next four or five steps are, and then I'll figure it out. But at least, you know, don't make me just follow you without any direction. He needed more details. He needed more information to make him feel comfortable. Instead, he felt distressed. And here's what distress is. Distress is ignorance and anxiety. And let me just... We can call each other all ignorant in here this morning because we're all ignorant of something. There's something I don't know. Something that you know that I don't know, and there's something I know that you don't know. There's something in here that none of us know. We're all ignorant of something. That's, that's life. Nothing wrong with being ignorant. But when our, we allow our ignorance to lead us to anxiety is where we start to allow distress to take over our lives. You see, Thomas didn't just want to follow Jesus He wanted to know what the next steps would be. He said, give me these steps before I say that I'm willing to follow you. And I want you to hear this. No amount of knowledge would have been enough for Thomas. Once he got one answer, what is he going to want? The next and the next and the next. Give me more, more, more. And this is the heart of anxiety. You and I can feel distressed about our future because there are things that we know that we don't know. And we wish we did. And that bothers us. But even if we figure things as, these things out, guess what? There are other things that we don't know. And how do we end up in this anxious spirit? I think it shows in a couple ways here. One, we forget the promises of Jesus' presence in our lives. He said in verse 3, 
I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself. I'll take you there. Thomas is like, how do we get there? What did Jesus just say? I'm coming back and I'll take you there. I'm going to lead you there. We often think sometimes following Christ is like this pat on the back and says, go have a great life. I'll see you on the other end. Like you, you became a Christian today. Great. I'll see you again when you die. That's not what Christianity is. It's not what following Christ is. It's not a hope that maybe I'm getting. It's walking with him day in, day out, moment, moment, hour, hour. It is. It's not forgetting that his presence is with us every moment of every day. But we also forget this. We forget the promises of Jesus' revelation in our life. In verse 4, it says, you know the way where I'm going. He says, I've, I've shared it with you. God's not holding anything back from us. There's not some hidden truth that somebody else has that you don't have access to. The goal of God's revelation isn't knowledge. I want you to understand this. You know, the more you get to know God, it's not about getting to know about the things of God. The goal of God's revelation is a knowledge of the truth, but it is obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. Once you see the third interaction in John chapter 20, go turn there and this is where we're in. John 20, 24 says this, and this is the story we probably most know about Thomas. This is after he had been, Jesus had been crucified and uh, the story of the resurrection had come out and it says this. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas looked at the future now with a sense of doubt. Where we catch his story and what we know about Thomas. This is kind of Thomas saying, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Like, I followed Jesus, I did this, even when I didn't want to do it, I followed him, and now look, he's dead, gone, we don't know what's going to happen to us, he's in this moment, he's like, how did we get here, he's having these doubts, he's not even showing up when the other disciples are showing up, and he's like, why am I here? And he had this doubt, he's like, maybe I've been fooled, his future was in doubt, it was going to take more than just some crazy story from the disciples to make him believe again. What is doubt? Doubt is two things. It's difficulty and confusion. You're going to face difficulty in your life. No matter what age you are in here, no matter what stage of life you're in, you're facing difficulty. That's one thing I tell you that's certain about your future. Difficulty can cause us to do one of two things. It can cause us to trust something more or it can lead us to confusion. And doubt comes when we allow difficulty to lead us to confusion. And this is what Thomas did. He, he said, only if Jesus shows up here physically and I can put my hands in the wounds of his hands and of his side. I want you to understand in that culture, in our culture today, that'd be a little weird, right? I mean, but in that culture, that would go against every social and religious norm. He was like, basically, he's like, I'll turn my life upside down 
to really find out if this is true or not. I just don't believe it that much. His doubts had consumed the way he viewed his future completely. And why did he do this? I think number one was this, because the same thing we do. We isolate ourselves instead of seeking community from others. That very first verse, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. His doubts drove him not just away from his beliefs, it drove him away from people as well. When we have doubts, one of the worst things we can do is isolate ourselves. Instead, bring your doubts before God. Bring your doubts before others. I want you to hear this. You aren't the only one who's ever had the questions that you're having. You aren't. People in this room have had the same questions. People in this room have walked the same journey. Instead of fueling your doubts, I want to challenge you this. When you start to have doubts, doubt your doubts. Don't give them more power than they have. Doubt your doubts in such a way that you say, am I thinking correctly? When you isolate yourself, you're only allowing one person to speak into your life, and that's yourself. You only have one perspective. But when you go back and you have community with people, it allows other perspectives to come in, which is what we see now in the second part is this, is that we trust ourselves more than we trust anybody else. We, we allow doubt to consume us because we trust ourselves more than we trust anybody else. The disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He's like, yeah, right. You're right. It wasn't that he, he wasn't hearing them, but he was not listening to them. We can't see happiness or joy in our future, maybe because all we can see is our own view. We can't see how to get past this. But there is somebody sitting in this room, somebody in your life that has gotten past this that can help you and say, let me show you the way. Let me walk you through this path. Maybe you are one of those people. Maybe you've come through a difficulty, and you can be a voice back in to somebody's life. I love the last words of Thomas here that we see recorded in Scripture at all. As soon as Jesus shows up and he tells him to touch his hands and his side, Thomas answered him and he said this, My Lord, my God. Immediately, in that moment, God's, or Thomas's doubt, his distress, his dread went away to a complete devotion to Christ. He said, you are my Lord and God. And what I love about this is this truth. Jesus gives us a reason to believe in him. It's not that we have to blindly follow him. When you need Jesus to come through in your life, when you need his help, when you need his presence, when you need his revelation, it'll be there. It doesn't mean circumstances get easier. It doesn't mean obstacles go away. It just means he's there and the truth and tools you need and the people that you need are there to get through it. Thomas had everything he needed to not doubt, to not distress, and to not dread. But yet he chose not to use those tools question I want to ask you this morning is this. How do you see your future? How do you see it? Do you look at your future with dread or distress or doubt? And he's keeping you from living, up, seeing a blessed future. Because here's the question we ultimately struggle with. And we're going to close with a, one song as we, I want you to ponder this question. What is the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing? Whatever it is in your future, what's the worst? Maybe we can come up with some bad 
bad things. Maybe you've already experienced some bad, bad things. I want you to hear this. The worst thing that can happen is not some horrible circumstance, but it's walking through that circumstance without the hope of Jesus in your life. It's the worst thing that can happen. It's not just going through something bad. It's going through something bad alone, without Jesus, without others, to walk through it with you. I want to challenge you to think this morning. What's making you feel overwhelmed? Is it your past? Is it this regret that we talked about last week? Is it something today that is just overwhelming you and you're fearful of this? Are you so worried about your future that you can't get a handle on facing it and you're trying to avoid it? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?